We're in a series called Sacred Letters, looking at the teachings of Christ, looking at the words in red in many of our Bibles, words that are significantly different than all the other words that we typically hear and and are inundated with on a daily basis. So let me pray real fast. I felt like I stumbled over it in the first service. No one's really awake at 8.30 uh, in the morning anyway, so they probably didn't hear. But this is a, it's a fascinating text to me, a fascinating message. And I just, just pray that it will, it will uh, make sense. God, would you be with us now? Would you help us to hear what you would have us to hear? Uh, use my words and, and these moments uh, to speak to each and every one of us, God. As you did at Pentecost, Blow through this place. Have the Holy Spirit come into us and change us, God. Change us from the inside out. Please make it so. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, back to your Bible bowl days, Bible trivia days. Let's see if you can finish the following statement. Right before he died, while on trial before Pilate, Jesus said these words, the reason I was born and came into the world, the reason I was born, and came into the world is to what? Any guesses? Save us? Great answer, wrong. (laughs) Anybody else want to volunteer? (laughs) Why did he come? Okay, prepare a place for us. Great answer, wrong again. (laughs) You tried, brother, you tried. To save us, to bear witness to the truth. To serve, wrong, right. (laughs) It's fascinating though, isn't it? Many of us would finish this sentence in a couple of different ways. I mean, it says nothing of salvation. It doesn't say anything about death or redemption or the cross. The reason he came into the world, something we're about to celebrate in a couple of weeks here. The reason he left heaven itself to come to this earth. The reason he was born and came to this world was to testify to the truth. Does that surprise you? Does the ending of that verse surprise you? Does the fact that Jesus puts truth at the center of his life and the center of his ministry surprise you? It did for me. I took the test and failed miserably. Oh, oh, testify to the truth. See, that shocks me that Jesus held truth up in such a high way, with such high esteem, but it shouldn't. The fact is, the matter is that truth was of paramount importance to Jesus. Let me show you how highly Jesus thought of truth just from the Gospel of John. John 4, 23, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. That's what the Father's looking for. John 8, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples, you will know what? The truth. And the truth will set you free. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 16, 13, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can even handle now, so I will send you the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, oh, by the way, his name is the Spirit of Truth, he will guide you into what? All truth. You see a a trend here, a pattern here? John 17, our memorize one for the month, 15 through 18. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one while they're in the world. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. So how are they going to be in this world, but not of it? How are they going to stand out, but live right in the middle of it? How's this going to happen? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
Jesus lifted truth up on this pedestal time and time and time again. And he wasn't the only one to do it. In Ephesians 6, Paul says that the gospel is called the message of truth. 1 Timothy 2, we learn that God wants all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 3, the church is called the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 John 3, we're challenged not love just through words, but in deed and in truth. For this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Wow. There is an inseparable connection, it seems like, between Jesus, his message, his ministry, and the truth. The truth. In fact, the Holy Spirit, salvation, the Bible, the good news, purity, godliness, all of them, at one point or another in Scripture, are connected to the truth. But Thomas, wait, 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 just a second. Are you talking about the truth? Truth with a capital T? Are you talking about an absolute, supreme, complete truth that is universal, that all other truths are based on? Seriously? Truth? Isn't that a little old-fashioned, Thomas? Not to mention extremely arrogant, exclusive, and elitist. One truth one way, one right understanding of things, one story that makes sense of all other stories. No, 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 no. Not in our politically correct, open-minded society. There is no truth, right? We value tolerance over truth. It's better that everybody like each other and be okay with one another than, than God forbid, someone be true and someone be wrong. So believe whatever you want. If you want to believe that you are a highly developed pond scum that has outlasted and outwitted all the other pond scum that's out there, or if you want to believe that when you die, you'll be absorbed into the spirit and essence of the universe, or better yet, you'll get a universe of your own full of girls and goodies. If you want to believe that, well, go ahead. If it's true for you, then it's true for you. Who am I to say that it's not true or that it's a lie? Believe whatever you want. All truths are equal. All roads lead to God. All religions believe the same thing. All lifestyles are equally valuable. The truth is relative. You can make it up for yourself. You can decide for yourself what is true. But if it's true for you, don't push it on me. It might work for you, but that's not true for me. I make up my own truth. Have you heard those sentiments before? Have you picked up on that spirit in our culture? I just have one problem with that way of thinking. It's not true. It's just not true. This relativistic, believe what you want to logic, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in any other area in our world. So why do we think it works when it comes to morality, religion, and especially God? Now, don't don't hear me say anything different. I'm all for tolerance. I'm all for getting along with people and learning from others. Christians of all people have a lot to learn from everybody else. I want to have an open mind, and I want to have a more full understanding of what is real and what is true. But certain things are true whether you believe them or not. The truth is the truth whether you call it such or not. Let me give you a couple of examples to try to drive this home. You can believe with all of your heart that you can get to Albuquerque, New Mexico, one of the greatest cities this side of heaven. You can believe. You can get to Albuquerque if you hop on I-70 and go west. You can genuinely and sincerely believe that is true but you would genuinely and sincerely be dead wrong. And you would genuinely and sincerely be going in the wrong direction and get completely lost. 
And what's true about getting to the 505 is also true as it pertains to getting to heaven, it seems like. So you can believe with all your heart that 2 plus 2 equals 17. You can say, listen, that works better for me. I just, I just like it better. It feels better. It's a little bit more freeing. 2 plus 2 is 17. Don't push your 4 on me. <laughs> Students, would your, would your teacher take that as an answer to the test? Well, it was true for me. No. The truth is the truth whether you know it, recognize it, or contest on it. It's just true. And, and the same thing that pertains to how the numbers add up seems to be how our lives will add up. It's true whether you believe it or not. In a world that claims there is no truth, that you can make up your own truth, that all truths are equally true, Jesus stands up and says, no, 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 no. There is an absolute truth, and it's absolutely important that you come to know the truth. And I'm it. I am the truth with the largest capital T you can find in Microsoft Word. We will find life. We will be saved. We will be freed from forever. We will have fellowship with God, the creator of the universe, when we commit ourselves, when we come to know, when we discern, when we live in the truth. It boils down to the truth. And that is why Satan is hell-bent on telling you lies. That is why Satan is hell-bent on getting you to believe a bunch of half-truths. Right? We believe, well, half a truth plus another half a truth equals a full truth. Two wrongs don't make a right. Two half-truths don't make a full truth. And whether you recognize it or not, every day of your life, you are being bombarded with lies. Lies, lies, lies. Anyone ever play the game Two Truths and a Lie? Great little get-to-know-you game, kind of awkward, right? Well, given the essence of the message, I thought we'd play it for a few minutes. So I asked the staff members at West Bowles to, to give me three statements about themselves, two of which are true. One, complete lie. Let's see how good you are at discerning which is which. The person that keeps the church going, Miss Melanie Dykes, our office minister, she has seen George W. Bush in person, shaking his hand. She was baptized in the Jordan River, she was in an armed bank robbery. Two truths and a lie. Which is which? A, B, or C? Shout it out. Which one's the lie? A. A. She has never seen George W. Bush, nor would she ever shake his hand if she did, she said. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was my commentary. I'm sorry. A is the lie. All right, how about Mr. Dave Bate? He claims he sat on the platform as a guest at a Billy Graham crusade. He was subpoenaed as a witness in a murder trial. We have a very interesting staff, an armed robbery with Melanie, murder trial. It's a place for sinners. Uh, he graduated from high school at age 16, which is the lie, A, B, or C? C, wow, Dave, they know when you're lying, buddy. Is this because you don't think he's smart enough to grab, is that? Is that what you're trying to say to him? I believed you, Dave. He actually was age 17, not 16. How about our comic relief, Ryan Long? He had a hairy, all lies, all lies. <laughs> Ryan, we gotta work on your PR, man. He, he says he had a hairy birthmark the size of a quarter in the middle of his forehead till age 11. He hates with a passion all things Walmart or he slept with a red stuffed plush toy Porsche 911 most of his life. In fact, I saw it just a few weeks ago in his room. 
Which is a lie, A, B, or C? A. B. He actually loves all things. Walmart, I would have never believed it myself. But think about discerning between what is true and what is not. What is real and what is fake. What is right and what is wrong. It's fun to play in a little game, but, but really discerning what is ultimately true, it's not a game. It's life and death. Think with me back to the garden. Playing truth or dare or two truths and a lie, whatever you want to call it, it's not a game. The moment Satan enters creation, he immediately begins to undermine the truth. See, he attacks God and he attacks you and I, not, not physically beating us up, but instead he tries to beat up the truth. Did God really say is that really true? I don't know. You can eat the fruit, and if and when you do, you won't die. You'll become like God. Whatever he said was not true. Wait, 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 wait just a second here. He did say you can't eat of it, and he did say when you do, you'll die. It's like all those sleazy political ads we've seen the last couple of weeks. Someone's not telling the truth here. Someone's not telling me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You can eat it, you can't eat it. When you do, you'll die. When you do, you won't die. See how that stands in opposition? You cannot believe both of them. What's true for Satan is not just true for Satan, and what's true for God is not just true for God. There has to be a truth. Well, what is it? Which one is it? Well, listen to Jesus as he talks about Satan. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow. That's a strong title for someone, isn't it? That, that the, the words that naturally come out of your mouth are lies. When you speak your native tongue, when you start talking, you know what comes out of your mouth? Lies. That is true for Satan. He's the father of lies. It reminds me of a video Jimmy Kimmel comes out with every Halloween. A video where fathers lie to their kids about what happened to their Halloween candy. Have you seen this? It's cruel and unusual, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. Last night, we ate every bit of your Halloween candy. It's all, it's all gone. Hours 
getting all of that candy and I was going to eat it on Friday night. I'm so mad. This is not fair. You're sleeping on the couch tonight and so is Nick's and I'm so mad right now. <laughs> <laughs> The father of lies. And, and it's one thing for a, a parent to lie to a child about some candy and to see their crazy reaction. But it's another when Satan lies to you about God and to see your crazy reaction. See, we, we look at those kids and think, you have lost your marbles. And they have. And when, when we believe the lies of Satan, I think God's saying to us, you've lost your marbles. That's not true. Don't believe that. See, what happened in the garden still happens for us. The devil knows that when he can get you to question the truth, when he can get you to believe a bunch of lies, you will start to freak out. Everything in your life will start to fall apart. God says, the pure in heart will see me. Truth. Satan says, ah, Porn will make you feel better and bring a little bit more robust sex life into your marriage. Lie. God will say, it's better for you to give things than to receive them. Satan will say, ah, it's better to make sure you have the largest piece of the pie because when it runs out, you want to make sure you have yours. God will say, life now is found as you give your life away in Christ, to Christ. Satan will say, no, no, life is about sex, stuff, and success. Truth and lies. One loves you, one hates you. One seeks your good, one seeks your destruction. Thus one will always tell you the truth and the other never will. And some of you are living in a place right now where all you are hearing and all you are believing are the lies. And we have to get you to see the truth. That's why Jesus came there are so many people who are unknowingly living and basing their decisions and basing their happiness, let alone all of eternity, off an elaborate set of lies or half-truths. And Jesus said, I love you too much to let you exist in that place. I love you too much to live in a lie. So I've come. I've come for you. I've come to tell you the truth. I've come to reveal to you the truth. I've come to free you and rescue you through the truth. But sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? Oh, it hurts a lot. I love chorizo. Anybody else love chorizo? Well, the other day at the grocery store, I decided to pick up a package of chorizo and to see what was in it. That truth hurts. Fligity-flagity, <laughs> what? Leftover parts from where? The truth hurts. Chorizo. Ignorance is bliss. Just let me have my chorizo and back off. It's not really true. It's good for you. No, the truth hurts sometimes, but it will save us, won't it? The truth will save you. When you come to know the truth and live in the truth, you are freed. It could be the truth that Albuquerque is seven hours south on I-25. Six and a half if you're doing 85. <laughs> Hallelujah, praise Jesus for that truth. That is truth. That will set you free. It will get you to your destination. It could be the truth that two plus two is four. Hallelujah, praise Jesus again. All truth is God's truth. Knowing that will set you free. But I think Jesus, in this text I want to share with you this morning, has three truths that trump all the others, that are more important than all the others. These truths are found in Mark chapter 10. Let me read this story to you. We'll unpack it for a few minutes. As Jesus started on his way, a man went up to him and fell on his knees before Jesus, saying, Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit life? 
Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. Nobody's good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Do not give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, teacher, he says. All of those I have kept since I was a young boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Oh, one thing you lack, son, he said. Go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed, flabbergasted at his words. And Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. The disciples were even more flabbergasted at this and said to each other, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and he said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. With God all things are possible. So a rich, young, probably very good-looking person comes to Jesus. I mean, it's hard to be rich and young and not good-looking, right? It's like it just kind of comes with the territory. Someone I imagine looked like this. And a person that looked like this falls to Jesus' feet and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life, to go to heaven? And Jesus looks at them, the people that have it all together, and he changes the direction of the conversation very quickly. And he says, Why do you call me good? Nobody's good not as you understand it. Jesus takes that word good and he kind of flips it on his head and he shares with us in this one statement one of the most powerful truths you have to come to believe and it's simply this. Good enough is not good enough. Good enough is not good enough. You see, this guy comes to Jesus and he sees Jesus as a good teacher. He's one of the best. And so he comes and he says, hey, good teacher, you look like a good man and I'm a pretty good man myself and I want to get your opinion. How good's good enough? How good do you have to be to get to heaven? It's not the only person to think that way, is he? Ask the average American if they'll go to heaven. What do you think their answer is? Yeah. Ask them why. What do you think their answer is? I'm a good person. I'm a good person. It's a comparison thing. It's a contract or a, a comparison. Uh, yeah, comparison thing. I don't know how to say the other one. If you don't cheat on your taxes, at least not that much, you're a good person. If your mugshot's not on the evening news, you're a good person. If you don't murder anyone, you're a good person. If you give a dollar a week at church and show up now and again, you're a relatively good person. And Jesus says, that logic just isn't true. Being good enough is not good enough. See, there's no such thing as a good person, Jesus says, not in our understanding of it. And so he gives the man a test. And this test, I think, still applies today. He gives him the Ten Commandments test. Oh, you're a good person. Okay, let's take a little test. See how well you do up and against the Ten Commandments. All right, let's take this little test. Do not murder. Check. Do not commit adultery. Check. This is an easy test, Jesus. Do not steal. Well, I was, I was only five when I was in preschool and took the, kids from, took the stuff from the other kids' cubbies. So, I mean, yeah, ignorant, little. I did steal back then, but I don't do it anymore, Jesus. So surely you forgive me of that, right? So check, stealing, good. Do not lie. Define lie. <laughs> do not cheat. Well, it wasn't technically cheating because everybody had the old copy of the test. Honor your father and mother. They're in New Mexico. Check and check. 
Right? It's crazy how we take this test, but that's exactly how we take it, and that's how this guy took it. Well, 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 your little test, Jesus, I'm a six out of six, the guy says. I pass your test with flying colors. And Jesus looks at the man, and it says he loved him. What a profound statement. He didn't rebuke him. Liar! You are not that good. I've known you since you were a little boy. It says he loves him. And because he loves him, he doesn't belittle him with the truth. He doesn't beat him up with the truth. He doesn't throw it at him. I've got the truth and you don't, so sit down and shut up. Christians got a lot to learn from Jesus in this text about how to use the truth. All he does is ask him another question. All he does is go a little bit deeper because Jesus loves the man too much for him to live in the lie that good enough is good enough. Okay, he says, fine. One thing you do lack, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. What Jesus is doing in that text is actually bringing up all the rest of the commandments. But he doesn't have to list them in order because in that one statement, he's hitting all of them, isn't he? Do not have any other gods before me. Go sell everything. Do not worship anything other than me. Go sell everything. Do not covet. Go sell everything. Observe the Sabbath and stop working for a while to prove that the world doesn't revolve around you. Go sell everything. Jesus says, yeah, you did great on the first six, but how about these four? See, the man looked good on the outside, really, really good. He was successful. He was wealthy. He was respected by others. He had innumerable blessings, tons of opportunities. He was a person of great influence, everything we aspire to be, yet he was not good. His life looked good, but his heart was not good. His soul was not good. He was flawed. He fell short of God's standards, God's hopes, God's ideals for him. At best, at best, he's a six out of ten. That's a D minus. And up at CU Boulder, D minuses get you a degree. I get that. Most of you went to CU Boulder, it sounds like. Okay, so, <laughs> just kidding. But D minus is, think about it, no one wants a D minus, and D minus is never good enough, especially as it pertains to God's standard of perfection. Even if you could claim to be a nine out of 10 on God's 10 commandments test, good enough is not good enough. Perfection is what he needs. Perfection is what he demands. Perfection is what he asks. And so you can't be a little imperfect or almost perfect. They are complete and utter states of being. You are either perfect or you're not. And any little bit of imperfection takes you from category one into category two. I love on eBay when you're looking at things, and it's like, almost mint condition. How can anything be almost mint condition? It either is mint condition or there's a flaw in it. Same is true for you. If you're perfect, by all means, you're good enough. But most of us know that we're at least, at best, at most, a six out of 10. And good enough's not gonna be good enough. And here's the second truth that Jesus teaches in this story. He goes and asks the man to go give away all of his possessions. And here's the second truth. Good enough's not good enough, and there is something keeping you from coming to terms with truth number one. You've heard good enough is not good enough before that you're not a good person. And some of you haven't ever believed it to be true. And that's because the second is also true. Something or multiple somethings is keeping you from coming to terms with that. We don't joyfully or, or cheerfully or voluntarily just kind of throw our garbage out there to the world, do we? I'm imperfect. Let me show you how. Let me tell you how. Bloop. 
Social media is a perfect example of this. We put our best selves, our perfect selves out there because we don't want people to know that we're flawed. So something is keeping us from coming to terms with the fact that we're not good enough. And that something can be so many different things. It could be your past. It could be your fear. It could be a relationship you're in. That something is different for each and every one of us. But I honestly believe that something for most of us is the same something that it was for the rich young ruler. It was his wealth. It was his money. It was his stuff. Jesus turns to the disciples and he gives them a little commentary. He says, guys, you know what just happened? It proves a point. It proves the point that the rich hardly ever make it into the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, don't hear Jesus say that he's anti-wealth. He's not. We read multiple times that, that rich women supported his ministry. There's a need for that. He's not saying that all rich people are sinners and all poor people are saints. He never spoke of money in those terms, but he never really spoke that highly of money either. He never really just kind of said, ah, be generous now and again. He spoke of it a lot, and when he did, he didn't speak very highly. Why? Because it seems like to Jesus, money has a power to blind you to things. Money has an ability, an uncanny ability, to deceive you to your true spiritual condition. Why else would he say, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Because if you serve money, that is a tyrannical master that won't share you with anybody else. For a lot of people, the abundance in their pocketbook, in their wallet, in their bank account is blinding them to the depravity in their heart. The fact that you can buy anything stops you from seeing you don't have anything outside of Christ. So hard, in fact, that this young man says, excuse me? And he turns and he walks away. Because money can blind you to your need. Money can blind you to your dependence on God. And that leads us to our final truth in the story. It says the text, in this text that the man walked away sad. A better rendering of this word, according to Timothy Keller, and I love this stuff in King's Cross, the book he just came out with. It says a better rendering of that word sad is actually grieved. The young man turned and walked away grieved. We read about that same word, that same Greek word, grieved one other place in the New Testament. You know where it is? In the garden. When Jesus is praying the night before he's about to die. And it says he is grieved in spirit. He's about to go to the cross. Why is Jesus so sad on that night? He's about to lose his identity. He's about to lose his connection. He's about to lose the center of his life, his connection to the Father. And so he's grieved. And it seems like the man in this story is grieved just as Jesus was because for him, money is the center of his identity. Money is what makes him who he is. His stuff is how he defines himself and brags about being good enough. So when Jesus calls this man to give up his money, he starts to grieve in the same way that Jesus grieved. And here's why. Because it's one thing to have God as your coach or your mentor or your boss or your friend. It's another to have God as your savior. When you say, God, be my savior, you're basically saying to everything else, and you're not my savior. And Jesus, you're the only one who can save me. So here, take this. Take this thing that I've been looking to for salvation and for life. You can have it. Because it's a lie that this relationship will save me. It's a lie that my money will save me. It's a lie that I'm good enough. Here, Jesus, you have it. And some of us won't ever hand it over. Something is giving you life right now. Someone is the essence of your life right now. There is a center or epicenter of your life. And if it's anything but Jesus, you're living a lie. It won't save you. It won't bring you life. 
And that's, again, the most important truth. Maybe in this story and all of Scripture, you're not good enough. Good enough will never be good enough. Something's blinding you to coming to terms with that. But the third and most important truth, someone came to save you from all of that mess. Oh, it's a wonderful truth. He tells the disciples, Tim Tebow, he, he just can't get into heaven. He's not good enough. They're like, Tim Tebow? Are you kidding me? Tim Tebow's an angel. Tim Tebow's perfect. How can Tim Tebow not get into heaven? They throw their arms up in disgust. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'll throw my arms up too in response to all this. You can't handle the truth. Know that line from a few good men? And you're right, I can't. I can't handle it. Whether it's chorizo truth or salvation truth, I can't come to terms with it. It's hard for me to deal with. And Jesus says, I came to deal with it for you. I came to teach you and to show you and to embody it. You can't earn your way to heaven, Jesus says. No one is good enough. And you are living this life of lies, of half-truths, and I have come to set you free. And the way in which he did it is just fascinating to me. It's ironically fascinating. We have a rich, young ruler who refuses to give up everything to find life. Well, we have another rich, young ruler in this story who accepted the call to give up everything in his life. You see, 2 Corinthians tells us Though Christ were rich, though he lived in eternal storehouses of heaven itself, though he was on the other side of heaven experiencing the fullness of God, he became poor for your sake. He gave it all away so that you in your depravity could become rich. One rich young ruler says, no way, you're asking for too much. The other, thank God, says, I'll make the way. I'll become the way. I'll show you the way. I'll do it when he refuses to do it. So in asking this man and in asking each and every one of us to come to terms with what is true, to give it all up, to have relationship with God, he's not doing anything, he's not asking for anything he hasn't already done himself. The eternal rich young ruler says, he won't, I will. You can't, I will. You refuse to, I will. Because I'm the truth. For this reason, he says, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. The truth that good enough is not good enough. Something is stopping you from truly believing that and someone has come, come here to save you from that. And unlike our staff, there's no two truths in a lie. Those are all true. And I just wanna pray over you right now and then have you kind of stand and sing uh, that we would accept and embrace and believe the truth. Let's pray right now. Father, we know that you are true. And we believe, God, that you have come to show us the truth. We believe that in Jesus, the truth is perfectly embodied and perfectly expressed. And Father, we just admit that sometimes we believe the lies of this world and the lies of Satan. We stand with your truth in one hand and the empty promises of Satan in the other. And for some reason, we choose to listen to the father of lies. Lord, I love how in Titus it says, you never lie, you can't lie. You are the father of truth. And so this morning we pray that we would listen to you as our father, not the father of lies. That those who are living a life of lies right now, God, maybe they're not good enough or strong enough or able enough, that their past will forever define them, that their future is just as bleak as the past has been, that they'll never get over this hump, that the marriage will never be fixed, that they are not good at anything. God, would you overcome that with truth? We pray for truth in this church and that that truth will set us free. We pray that we will be children of you, 
of yours who listen to truth, embody truth, and share truth in love. Please make it so. We pray that we will be freed this week in and through the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.